what I realized is that God's grace is real and it's super powerful and it's practical and it's beautiful. And we all have incredible power at our hands if we start acting gracefully. It is really the tonic for what's going on in this world right now. Welcome to Grace in 30 on WERALP, Arlington's 96.7 FM. This is Sal Dietry, and I'm the host for the program tonight. Well, friends, is your marriage in trouble? Are you being honest with yourself to even know? Maybe you're in the middle of a messy divorce, or your gut says something just isn't right. But let's face it, uh, maybe you just have given up and think things will never change. In any way, you are on the path to divorce. And tonight, we're going to offer you a chance to change that with a radical story of God's grace and healing. Tonight, Grace and 30 co-host Ed Mellick shares his story of divorce, battling cancer with his ex-wife Diane, and ultimately the radical grace that healed their lives even as Diane passed into the next life. Ed, my friend, welcome to Grace in 30. Great to be here, and we haven't been in the booth together for a long time. It's been a while, and it's time to come together around this radical grace, and I'm so privileged and honored to have you come and share the story uh, as you're kind of coming out of this and share this. As I've said, so many people in some stage of divorce and in some need for radical healing in, in their marriage. Tell us when you first realized your marriage was in serious trouble. That's a kind of a tough question to answer simply. We're in denial. My, my lawyer told me at one point, he said, there's typically two timelines in every divorce. There's usually a person who's already mourned the death of the marriage, and they're mm. sort of checked out, they're planning a new life. And then there's the person who the bomb gets dropped on. And I was the latter person, and it's kind of embarrassing because um, I, I, there were signs, flashing red signs everywhere, and I was just in denial. I never thought it would really happen to me. And so it's funny, I'm writing this book, you know, I've written two books, and one of them is about the story of Diane and I. And I went back and looked at some notes and some materials, and about 10 years into our marriage, I wrote this incredibly touching note to her flying to California for a business trip. And at the end of the note, I'm like, I love you, I love you, I love you, you're the best in the world, and pumpkin and all that. And then 14 years later, uh, I'm reading the divorce filing. And it talks about, you know, my excessively abusive language and how I use the F word all the time talking to her and, and it's irreparable damage in the marriage. And I'm thinking, how did that happen over that? When did that happen over those 14 years? And, and the thing that happens is it happens insidiously, little bit by little bit, day by day, week by week. So, so the short answer is I was in denial up until the, the moment she dropped the bomb on me. But there were a lot of signs for a long period of time that I was not paying attention to. Yeah, and, and that's right. I mean, I think you, know, you had a successful career, kids heading off to college. A lot of listeners find themselves in that position, married for, for a long time, and yet we never really expect it. We never really stop along the way to figure out what is going on or to check ourselves uh, along the way. Yeah, we, we think we're doing the right thing. We're chasing the dollar. That's right. You know, we're doing, you know, working late, all these things, and we're not tending to the important things. You know, first, of course, our relationship with God. I, I was incredibly self-righteous when she left me. I did not realize that until the shock of the divorce hit, and I wasn't feeding the marriage. 
And so it's just sort of this chasing the dollar, running around, being busy, and under a lot of stress, and that put a stress on the marriage. Yeah, and sometimes the, both parties can feed that. Oh, yeah. You know, because yeah. everyone's buying the big house. Both parties are signing on the big mortgage. Both parties are sort of living it, but, you know, behind, the, behind that, it, there are issues. How long uh, after uh, this did Diane file for divorce? So there was, like I said, we had trouble for years. There was, when someone makes the decision to leave you, there's a lot of sneaking around going on. They, they go and see an attorney, and the attorney starts coaching them, and they start gathering materials. They're reading certain books. I would stumble across books entitled, like, something like The Sweet Potato Guide to Divorce, and I'd become a wreck, you know, seeing something like that, like in the bathroom or, or somewhere in the bedroom where she was sleeping. But even despite those signs, I would still um, just not believe what's happening. And the way it happened was, was I was driving home one day uh, from a workout. I had just finished a really good consulting assignment, made some really good money for a year. And I was driving home from an early morning swim, and the stockbroker called. And he said, where are you? And I said, oh, I'm driving in my car. And he says, well, you better pull over. <laughs> and it's not what you want to hear from anybody when you're driving and they're talking to you. And I pulled the car over, and he basically said, your wife just called into the office, and she told us that um, you're, you're getting divorced, and she put a freeze on all your accounts. And I thought, first of all, how can you unilaterally do that, turn off all the accounts without getting permission from the other person as well? We were paying bills and doing things like that from those accounts. And uh, the other thing was, I was just in shock. And I went home, and she was still home. She had a job, and she was preparing to go to work. And I went inside, and I'm, you know, I'm yelling and screaming and flailing my arms. And I'm at the landing to the house. You know, I have one of those McMansions with the big foyer entranceway. And she's upstairs moving in and out of various bedrooms. And I'm just going on and on. And what do you mean? And she just calmly walked down the stairs and handed me her lawyer's card and said, call my lawyer, and left. She had been really well coached. And that's when things got really serious. And what, what was going through your mind that first night? You know, you go from, as you say, you're sort of walking around, trying to ask questions, and at some point you realize th this is the next step. I, I was sick as a dog. I mean, emotionally, uh, just sick to my stomach. I, I had been planning to start a new business. I had lined up some financing at a bank, and all of a sudden this bomb was dropped, and I, I didn't sleep for, for many nights. And, you know, I started taking Benadryl <laughs> just to sleep. And I went to the doctor. He gave me a prescription to sleep. And I was devastated. I, I wept very deeply. I, and this went on for months. I, I coined a term, deep tears, which describes a state where you, you cry so badly that you don't imagine coming out of it. Um, and, and I did. But it was, it was devastating. And, and I, here's the really cool part. Um, I, after a couple of nights, sleepless nights, I felt like God said, hey, she has to leave to heal. And your job is going to be to be the person from this point on through which he loves her more than anyone else, which is just stunning and shocking to tell that to someone who's on the verge of divorce. And the next morning when I, I got up, you know, out of bed, I wasn't sleeping, I went to her. I was very excited. This is my former best friend. And right. I wanted to tell her about this revelation. And she just was, you know, get, please get out of my face. I'm getting ready for work. I, I don't want to talk. And that's the commitment I made was I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to do this grace thing. I mean, we were enemies in our own home. Things were really ugly at the end. And I made a conscious decision to love my enemy. And I just decided whenever I had a chance to serve her or do something good for her, I was going to do it. And I was going to do it no matter how she reacted. And, and that's the crazy thing. People talk about the definition, the biblical definition of grace is the unmerited favor of God. And people say it's 
unearned, undeserved, unmerited. But you've got to add unwavering to that. And that's the key, because in America, when we do something nice for somebody, we want praise or thanksgiving or something back. And when we don't get that, we quit. That's right. And we quit immediately. And it's ridiculous. That is not grace. Grace is just doing it in the face of no matter what's happening, just keep going. And that's what I determined to do. So you had done a number of these sort of faith retreats. I remember you calling me at one, and, and that was sort of another turning point for you, I think, an awakening. So these things were good, but it was sort of this boom right in your face that really forced you and sent you on a radical change to to do that and tell us about i almost think it's as if you turned away from i'm not not saying divorce but to grace and from that point on divorce was was a piece of this but it was really just a complete change to grace what were some of the things that started there there was some time in may there right afterwards you were telling me where things really started moving for you in this mode of grace. What I learned right away is that Diane was just a sweetheart. You remember at the service, I said, you know, this yeah. was grace. And when, when I realized we were really getting divorced, I realized that I lost something of great value. And I was devastated over that. So I wanted to just serve and try to rebuild the relationship as much as I could, but it was incredibly damaged. So when you talk about that retreat, it's really funny, about seven months before um, I, she told me she was leaving, I went to this retreat and I was talking to you on the phone. Yep, you, I remember you were that. interviewing with a company that I eventually joined. And, and, I, and I, it was the first men's retreat I had ever been to. I didn't want to be bothered with retreats. I didn't want to bunk with a guy. I didn't want to spend money on it. And God blessed me um, by going to that retreat by basically punching me in the face. When I got there that first day, they showed a video called Flame. And in it, the narrator talked about three words that are translated into the word love in the Song of Solomon. And as he marched through those words, I thought, I don't have that, I don't have that, and I don't have that. And I, I literally got up and left the room and wept. I found a quiet place to go, and I just wept. And that was sort of when I knew things were really bad. I was still in denial, but I knew they were bad. And I went home, and I hugged Diane, and she stood. She was really chilly. She had her arms crossed, and she says, you're only doing this because you went to a retreat. And I said, yeah, but it's a good thing, right? And she was not impressed. And, and I started praying very deliberately. Every day I said, God profoundly changed the way I see Diane and the way I hear things and perceive things and react and, and, and speak. And I, I asked for things like neck-snapping faith, uh, the wisdom of Christ, agape love, true love that, that transcends the sin that people suffer from. And I asked for five things in my marriage that I didn't have at the time. And then Seven months later, she dropped the bomb. And I almost feel like God's reward for that prayer was the divorce. And you've heard me use this term before. There's a pastor named Paul Tripp who uses a term, the redemptive violence of grace. God takes you somewhere you would never go on your own in order to bring about change in that place. It can only happen in that place. So I think the key thing that you're driving for is I was trying to really listen to Diane for the first time. The second night that we were home together, after she told me she was leaving, our daughter was in bed sleeping. She was 13, and Diane's getting ready to go to bed, and I'm, listen, I'm trying to really listen to her for the first time in years. And she said things that were just, oh, I cringe when I think about them. And she, at one point, she just looked at me and said, you know, I just want someone to just look at me and tell me they love me and really mean it. Talk about devastating. And so what happened was I just kept trying to serve and do things. But the key moment was about three weeks later, she took me to court on a Friday. It's called a pendente lite hearing. It's like a speed hearing. 
And it's when one person is trying to get money for a year before the final divorce decree kicks in. And I got massacred. I mean, I, they said you owe a lot of money, thousands of dollars a month and, and alimony and child support. And I had no job and all my accounts were frozen. So I came out of the court like, you got to be kidding me. And my lawyer's like, you got to pay it or you go to jail. And I walked back to my car. I, I realized Diane was having a packing gathering at the house, a bunch of friends over to pack up overnight. Couldn't go home. So I went and laid on my parents' floor all night. They have a tiny condo. And I went home the next morning, and I walked in the door, and I said, you know, what happened in court wasn't, wasn't too hot, but I'm going to help you move. I told you I was going to serve you, and I'm going to help you move. And she was kind of in shock and just really speechless. And I just started helping her. And for 10 hours, back and forth all day, I was helping her move. And by the end of the move, the movers left. I tipped the movers. And I was standing in her new apartment, which is highly unusual. She's hiding in her bedroom to the left. Shannon, our 13-year-old daughter, is to the right. And I'm like, well, what do you do? There's no script for this. And I went in to said goodbye to Shannon. And I'm telling you, I don't even remember it to this day. It was so painful. Yeah. And I went over to Diane's room, and she was standing across the bedroom, just quietly looking at me. And I walked up to her. And it's the first time in my life that God spoke through me. And I told her, I love you, and I'm proud of you. And these were words that I hadn't been saying to her for years. And she was stunned. She didn't respond. And I hugged her, and I kissed her on her forehead, and I left. And this is the monumental hug. This is the title of the book? Or no, this is, this, 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 this is the next day. So I go home that night. The house is destroyed. Um, from from the movers, and um, I clean everything up as best as I can, and I passed out. And that night, I I slept. I hadn't slept much for three weeks, and I got up, and it was Mother's Day the next day, and and the rooms are echoing in the house. Half the furniture's gone. Um, my my daughter's not there. My best friend Diane's not there. My wife, and and I'm going through the day. It's like just it's surreal. And the phone rings at four o'clock, and it's Diane which is, again, very unusual. Normally, when someone leaves you, they want to get away and, and not talk to you for weeks or months. And she started talking about how hard the divorce was on her. And my human nature wanted to say, you know, excuse me, F you, look at what you've done to me, right? It's all about what you're doing to me. And I listened and listened, again, a new habit for me at that time. And at one point, she just says, you know, we don't have a lot of food here. Do you, could you bring us a pizza? And when I tell this story to most men, I, I get a visceral, angry reaction. Some I got men, your pizza right here. Yeah, exactly. Some men literally say, you know, F you with you know, saying the word. And I was like, oh, I was so happy. I'm like, yeah, I'd be glad to do it. And, and, and she started to back off. And I said, no, let me do this. And I went out, got a pizza, went over to her place. It was raining like crazy. I got soaking wet. And I basically went into her new apartment and sat down as a family, our daughter, me and Diane, and had dinner. It was just crazy weird because there's no script for something like this. And when I got up to leave, I'm heading towards the door and I'm kind of shuffling my feet. And Diane came up to me so sweet and she just hugged me and she thanked me. And I'm telling you, we hadn't hugged like that in ages. And it was amazing. And I, and I walked out of the apartment and she closed the door behind me. And I looked up at heaven and I said, I am in God. It's about grace and only grace in my life from now on. And 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 I get what Jesus did. Okay, look, and, and I want to come back to this because we're going to move into these grace stories and how this really picks up in a very powerful way. But first, I, I want to remind listeners that you're listening to the Grace in 30 radio show. We're doing something a little different today, something really powerful. We're talking about radical grace with my co-host, Ed Melick focused on his divorce and in the decision to extend radical grace to his ex-wife, Diane, over the 10 years that followed their divorce. 
So, Ed, Ed, take us from, you know, the pizza, you're sitting down together, like you said, this this seems good but odd. You really probably don't know where this is all going at this point. Tell us some of the gray stories over the next couple of years, and particularly, this story takes a really tough turn because Diane goes on to have a lot of challenges and ultimately develop cancer, and you have to make some really, really hard choices now about what is radical grace. Is it gonna be the occasional pizza, or are you gonna go all in? And that all in means a lot of things were all out. So tell us a few of the things that happened over those next few years, uh, and some of the gray stories behind that. So there's just so much to tell. I'll try to pare it down the best I can, but I just looked for every single opportunity to help her. So she would call me and say, Shannon's having some friends over, and I've got to study for school. She was working, and she was in school at night. And can you come over and watch her at the pool? Glad to. My parents bought her furniture. You know, I, that's nuts. And, and Shan, Diane calls, can you come over and set up the furniture? I came over and set up the furniture. And I just kept doing this over and over. And sometimes she would respond well. Sometimes I'd get a letter from her lawyer ripping me. And no matter what the response, I just kept going. And I did this more and more and more, and she hit some really big bumps in the road. At one point, um, just just the, the divorce settlement um, meeting, we, we got together, and I typed all the changes with the lawyers and gave them to everyone. She called me that night at the end of the day, and this is finalizing the divorce, and she thanked me. She said, I want to thank you for you know, how you behaved and how, how you handled everything. And then you know, a few years later, a couple of years later, she lost her job, and it was a very serious situation. She had to meet with the head of the union for uh, Fairfax County teachers or public schools. And uh, she called me one day and said, can you meet with the head of the union with me? And I said, sure. And she said, well, like right now. And I jumped in the car and met with her. That night she called me and she says, the head of the union couldn't believe that you're my ex-husband. She says she hasn't talked to her ex in five years. And I told her you do this because of the grace of Jesus Christ. So here's Diane. She hadn't gone to church. She went maybe three times in, in the first eight years of our separation and divorce. And here she was talking about the gospel. That's how powerful grace is by serving someone and laying down your life for them. And what happened is it started to spread as well. It started to spread with my parents. I literally got phone calls from around the country from men and women who were getting divorced or struggling in their marriages. And and I would tell them, the answer is you radically self-sacrificing yourself for the other person. I don't care what they did. I don't want to hear about it anymore. You lay down your life for them and watch the effect that it has on them. Because we can't force people to change. I was trying to do that with Diane. What I learned is we can have massive positive influence on them. And that's what I started doing by extending grace. Well, we got up to a point about seven years into the divorce where Diane was what I'll call a keeper. I won't use the H word. She had a, <laughs> she had a lot of stuff. She was a very clean woman, and, and but she had a boatload of stuff and a couple storage units. My neighbor's a keeper. That's you know we're. <laughs> that's and I'm funny. a chucker and, 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 and a minimalist. And, and I started. I I helped her move, yeah. and I, I won't even get into the details of the story. It was excruciatingly painful, and by the end of it, she started telling me she loved me, and this is seven years in. And I never went on a single date in 10 years or anything. And I was elated. And, and then it was about a year later that she was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer. Yeah, and this is where, you know, in the beginning it sort of could come off as superficial. Because let's face it, people are deeply hurt when they go through this process. But, you know, you talked about the flood. And then the flood again. I mean, how many people would deal with that and still keep coming back where your apartment was devastated by a flood and then her apartment was devastated by a flood. And, you know, you both had to kind of deal with that, but you're still coming back to each other. 
and, and through grace and sort of holding it together. And then as you say, um, you, you got the news with Diane that she had developed pancreatic cancer. And at that point, I think it becomes clear that this is truly a deep grace because this is heading to a place where there's going to be some finality to it. And we hope that wouldn't be the case. That's I mean, right. We're both believers and followers in Christ, and I did a deep dive analysis of healing in the scriptures, and, and that's one of two books I've written. But when she, you know, Sal, I've had a unique story. I've been cared for both of my parents as they declined over a long period of time and passed away, and then I helped Diane. And I was doing the radio program yep. and writing books, and I tried to build a business that didn't work. So I've been out of income for a while, but the blessing of that, the beauty of that, was when Diane called and, she, and it was getting serious that they were pretty sure it was pancreatic cancer, I could dive in and help her without restriction. And I remember about three, four months after she was diagnosed, she called me one day and said, hey, I know you track everything in Outlook. Could you put a list together of all my appointments so I can give it to the insurance company? And I had been to almost every single appointment. It was like 38 appointments. Wow. And I, you know, driving to Hopkins for a full day long meeting with a surgeon, you know, whatever it was, I took her and it had a profound effect on other people. We would see someone, she would have a stent placed down her throat in her, her bile duct and uh, nurses would be saying, oh, what a, what a lovely family. What a, and it was so cool to hear something like that, knowing that we're divorced and yet we're really functioning as a family. And it, it just, I mean, it was remarkable, some of the things that were said and we just kept, and we took trips when we thought at one point um, in November of 2016, she was told she really had six weeks to three months to live. And then we went nuts. You know, we went to South Beach and we stayed at this crazy hotel. I mean, we were jacking up an insane amount of money. And I was like, "All I don't care what it is. We're going to go away as a family and we're going to have peace. And the cool thing is, as we started doing those things, these emotional things that give you a charge and all, Diane actually had a period where she healed for a while. Her, her cancer retreated. I mean, it was in her omentum. It left her pancreas and was in, it was peritoneal carcinomatosis, very deadly. But she had a really good year. And our daughter came home from Brooklyn from college. And those are the things that are really powerful to healing. And, and the scriptures talk about that as well. Yeah, and you say that along the way, people were saying, you know, what a great family, what a great story. And they're seeing this in, in the focus of life and death. Right, and that's when it brings it real because all the earthly trappings, all the things that kind of confuse us in our marriage are gone at that point. I mean, you're, you're really down to life and death at that point. And you know, that is pretty much a place that God brings you sometimes to have this sort of radical grace. What are your thoughts on that? Well, I, I guess this is a good point to maybe get to the challenges I have for people because we're, we're starting to time out since I usually do the, the yeah. board stuff. I'll keep an eye <laughs> I on it there. This. I got some time for you. We'll slide you. I talked to Jackie. We'll slide you a few more minutes. Oh, well, thank you. Um, I think the real thing that I want people to know uh, from, from this interview, and we're going to do a few more just to tell everybody, probably another one or two or three interviews just to, to dig more deeply into this, what I realized is that God's grace is real, and it's super powerful, and it's practical, and it's beautiful. And we all have incredible power at our hands if we start acting gracefully. It is really the tonic for what's going on in this world right now. There is such tribalism, uh, partisanship and all, whether it's Trump, Clinton, Democrat, Republican, black, white, whatever – this is the thing that will heal our world. And we've had how many guests on that talk about crossing a boundary, 
truly listening, living sacrificially, I did all those things instead of just saying, well, you're going to leave me, so I don't want to see you anymore. And I'll, I made the decision that while we were enemies, I was going to step forward and, and just try to be around her and serve her and care for her as much as I possibly could do. And it just had a radical impact. So I do want to challenge people. I have an exercise, and I call it the most toxic person exercise. And, you know, people are always challenging you to do things, and, and sometimes they're a cool exercise, some not. This is the most powerful thing you can do. And what I, I say is, Identify the person in your life that's the most difficult. Maybe it's a coworker that you're just avoiding all the time. Maybe it's a relative you haven't talked to in a couple of years. Maybe it's a radio show host. <laughs> it could be me and you. <laughs> Whoever that person is, and start laying, start serving that person. Maybe it's a coworker who's trying to literally get you fired. Yep. And you start working for that person and serving them and making their day better, making their job better, making them look better, maybe trying to help them get promoted. This dramatic, radical, different, you know, otherworldly way of behaving. And that's what Jesus Christ did for us. I understand the gospel right now. He crossed this line. He became human. He took this ugly form on. And he served us, loved us, taught us, and then he died a terrible death so that we can get out from under that penalty. That's basically the gospel. So it's, I, I just challenge people. Find people like that in your lives and give it a shot and don't quit. Do, do it for 30 days or something. Give yourself a challenge and watch what happens. So you're in the process of sorting this all out. You've got a couple books you're writing. Uh, what What's next with the books? I mean, when can we expect them out? I mean, it took J.K. Rowling six years to write her first book. We're not going to be here uh, waiting for you for six years. What when, What's happening with the books, and when's that going to come out? So I wrote, Katie, 1,000 words and finished it in November. You read it. Thank you very much. And it was just too much going on in there. I had an agenda. I'm talking about you know conventional medicine and alternative medicine and miraculous healing. And I'm talking about Diane very warmly. And I'm talking about you know deep dive analysis in the scriptures. And I decided I'll put it on the shelf a while, pull it back off, and break it in two. So I have two books. One is called Monumental Hug, which really creates a monument to that hug where Diane thanked me, which is really the biggest turning point in my life. And the subtitle is basically Divorce, Cancer, uh, Grace, and Healing. And the other book is called Healing Plunge. And, and the subtitle is basically a, a deep dive analysis of healing in the Bible. And some of the things I found in, in that book were kind of shocking because I, I pulled every single scripture in the Bible and, on healing out, stuck them all on the table. And all the ones that described specific healing accounts, I just rolled the data up and I said, who was the healer? Who was healed? What was the, the sickness due to? What were the outcomes and the purposes? And and sort of reduced all that. Because I wanted to know everything that Scripture said about healing and how I could take that and help Diane with it. Well, look, it's great. I'm looking forward to the books, as, and we'll keep talking about them here in, in the next couple of weeks. Uh, great to be back together. Uh, we need radical stories of grace right now in our lives, our families, our communities and certainly our world as times such as these. I'm looking forward to a great fourth year here on Grace in 30. Uh, we're going to do a few more of these interviews with Ed Mellick. Uh, as always, a replay of this program, uh, along with select interviews, can be found at the gracein30.com website. You can give us a few days. Uh, the full interview it will be available on iTunes, Stitcher, Mixcloud, Twitter, Facebook, and whatever other social media thing comes out. And, of course, always on our loyal WERA.FM website. This is Ed and Sal signing off for Grace and 30 here on WERALP Arlington's 96.7 FM. Have a great night, and be sure to, to tune, tune in to Grace. To Grace.